Welcome to the bonus episode, and thank you for listening to the Policing Green podcast. It's been about a year in the making. Now, Tom and Hal talk about why they wrote the book and how the podcast came to be. So, Tom, this podcast that, that we've been having fun making was made possible by your foresight 36 years ago in getting your dad to sit down and talk to you about his career in law enforcement. And and I think everyone is curious as to what motivated that. So tell me, what how did you get started on this? Well, you know, it's, it's, a, it's interesting because... Um, Dad saw so many interesting experiences and uh, in some cases life-threatening experiences and that we knew about and other people had approached me back in the 80s to get him to record these and uh, get them down so I'd at least have them for the family. And out of the encouragement of uh, a guy that was a reporter at Atlanta Journal-Constitution, I, I sat down and um, we... Uh, got Dad to give me an afternoon one one weekend, and we just did about four or five hours of uh, talking about some of the interesting experiences. I was so glad I did that because, uh, as we pointed out, he passed away not long after that. But uh, at the time, I was very, very busy. I didn't have time to do uh, anything with the tapes, so I, I kind of just put them on the shelf in my study and in a, in a box, and I didn't even think about it until years passed, uh, and my granddaughter was talking one day, and they live close to the area where he served as deputy sheriff and police chief, and several people had mentioned him, and she wanted to know a little bit about him. So I thought, well, it might be a good idea to uh, get those transcribed. So we uh, we looked at it, and Fortunately, you, my good friend, and I were talking one day, and we, uh, you were kind enough to say, yeah, let me listen to the, to the tape. But I did it because of two things. I, I thought I was blessed to have you to be a part of this and to really run it for me, but uh, the main thing, I wanted it recorded because it, so much gets lost in history about your family, your gene, gene, genealogy, and all of that. And the fa- dad was uh, one of nine they split all up. His parents died when he was very young. And, and so um, I, I just, for my part of the family, I wanted them to know something about what he did and, uh, and not let that fade out. And so the, the book was built on, on that thought to, to get it down. And, and uh, never in my wildest dreams that I thought we'd end up publishing a book and people would buy it, you know. But, uh, and then people would like it. And then people would come to us and say, why don't you do a podcast? So it's, uh, it's been a, a blessing to do it. And uh, I'm, just, I'm just real proud that we did do it and it's something we can always keep. Well, I'm, I'll always be grateful for you inviting me to get to know your dad. I wish I'd met him in real life, but uh, this was the next best thing. So I, another thing I've thought about is, did your father just come home one day and tell your mom and you that he was going to switch gears and go from his, his years of success in retail sales and become a, a police officer? Or was that something he, he sort of broached and discussed with her and the family? And, and how did she react to that? It was totally out of the blue. I remember it like it was yesterday. Huh. I was fairly young, probably late middle school or early high school, I think maybe, maybe uh, right before high school. But anyway, uh, sitting at the dinner table. And he came in, and he sat down, and he's talking to her. Uh, I was just happened to be lucky enough to be at the table. <laughs> and he said, honey, I want to talk to you about something. And 
Um, he says, I've been approached by the county commissioner and the sheriff to sign on as deputy sheriff for the county, and it's something I'm interested in. Well, it didn't really register with me then, and the amazing thing with Mother, uh, she was immediately okay with it. She didn't say, let's think about it, let's discuss it, and that was out of her devotion. That's who she was. That was her to a T. And the other side, I don't think she realized what she was saying after he got in it. But um, she... She said, okay, and there was very little discussion, and the next thing we knew, he was, he was in the sheriff's department. But, um, you know, the thing is, he had worked for Standard Coffee Company, and he had been, risen to the number one salesman in the state of Georgia. So in those times, he was making fairly good. Before that, he had on the Sinclair station, and, uh, and it did okay. And uh, so he kind of rocked around. And then even before that, he had a dry-cleaning company, and in two or three counties, and um, it did well. So he said, you know, this is something that uh, I just know I'll enjoy, and I want to do it. And so when he did that, that meant his salary. And he said that that night my salary will be probably about half what I'm making. Well, that strangely didn't rest with me. You know, all I knew, I had a table and a roof on my head, and seemed to be everything seemed to be fine. <laughs> yeah. But And mother didn't bat an eye. You know, she'd been teaching school for a number of years and was going to continue to teach. And I, evidently, they thought, "Well, this is not going to be a problem. We'll 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 get by on this." Uh, it was about that quick, and so in a matter of days, he's with the sheriff's department and uh, in this new job, which he just loved. It was it was his calling, so to speak. So would he come home uh, after a long day on the job and talk about? harrowing experiences he'd had during the course of the day, or did he kind of keep that away from you all? He, he kept it away. Uh, he, As I think back over it, the things that would get out quick in the public that he had been involved in, he would tell it to us in a calmer way. You know, well, it wasn't that bad. You know, we yeah, we had to put up a few. And, <laughs> he only hit me in the head twice yeah, three yeah. times. Yeah, that's right. right. It was that kind of stuff, you know. But uh, so he didn't purposely keep everything away but there are things and as you know things in the book that i'd heard of but had no idea about the potential that it was involved in doing that until later other people telling the story that were there that would say oh no uh that night he went into the work camp and took on seven prisoners to make them work or that day you know i i you know what the story we heard was well, I had to go down because he had to go to the hospital. And so, obviously, there's concern. So he said, well, yeah, I got bumped up a little bit. Well, he he literally took on six or seven prisoners to make them go to work and was bringing them out of the cell, and it became a big fight. And uh, naturally, he was bruised up and, and everything, but he played it down. And then later, the story was, yeah, it was a it was all out brawl in the cell and everything. So we got bits and pieces of what he would say, but uh, not not a whole lot. And many people he talks about and and his uh, the patrolman that worked with him, the, one of the guys who ended up being the number two man in patrol, said he was not afraid of anything. He'd walk into something, and if he's the only one in there, and the problem with. In fact, he's quoted in the book. He didn't wait on the backup to come. It, that wasn't him. Yeah. If if he felt like there was breaking the law, he took it in his hands. 
we never heard that kind of stuff, you know. And uh, I've had patrolmen say that same thing, said, you know, if you were traveling with him, if you were riding with him, you're going to participate, and if you didn't get out in the car quick enough, he's going to go ahead and handle it himself. <laughs> and so probably not the smartest thing to do a lot of times, but that's the way it was. Yeah, well, he was one of a kind. Yeah. Now, your dad was a complicated man. Um, he was raised in a county that was half black and half white at a time when most of the people in the South felt that it was perfectly fine to have this separate but equal business of, of keeping the races apart, in effect. Um, on the other hand, he had empathy toward the African-Americans in his community, and all the evidence points to him treating them equally under the law as with the whites. Now, you and I uh, were both raised in the 60s and remember those days. Uh, there were notorious figures like Birmingham's public safety commissioner, Bull Connor, who used turn fire hoses and dogs against demonstrators, um, using essentially brutal tactics to quell any kind of uh, uprising that, that or protests that would occur. Uh, and your dad, when he was chief of police in Union Point and as deputy sheriff, he was involved in, in tense situations, but he, he was always able to defuse them without any violence coming to part. And was that, was that because of his uniqueness in the community? Was there something about Greene County that gave it a, a better attitude towards these things or more tolerance than other places in Georgia and throughout the South? Or what was it about him that allowed him to be not a Bull Connor? Well, I, I think he would start off by saying that we had several leaders in the county who um, wanted to handle things ourselves. We, we felt like we could, and there was efforts not to ignore the black demands, to work with them. And so uh, a lot of that went on. I give an example of when the school superintendent knew integration was coming, and he said, we don't need people to tell us this. It's the right thing to do. And my mother was the first white teacher to volunteer to go to a black school. So, you know, we lived in that household. And, uh, and, and Dad... Um, he yes, he arrested a lot of black people, and he was rough and tough on a lot of black people. He was rough and tough on a lot of white people, but and and it wasn't the racial thing as much as it was what he was quoted in the book. He loved people. He hated crime, and most important of all, he said, "You know, if you're going to be a good policeman, you've got to love people, and you can't. You shouldn't." have to stand aside and see people taken advantage of. I did never, I never liked to see people taken advantage of. And so when that crossed racial barriers, dad crossed them. He didn't, uh, he, you know, he didn't say because you're white, I'm going to give you a, a, a better break. But uh, he would, uh, he would, he would be just as tough. Oh, if you're black and you're breaking the law, I'm going to turn my back. Now, he, he, he didn't do that. But he, he was good. Uh, and I was raised in a home that uh, I remember regularly. It was a little lady, uh, had black lady in the community, had a number of kids. And mother and dad would regularly help, help her. Would send her food and take groceries by and, and uh, do that. Never talked about but I remember, because I rode with him sometime when he would say, I got to go in here and he'd take a little sack of groceries or, or something like that. So uh, I think that played into it. I think 
uh, while as everybody knows, that was a tough time. The sixties was tough. There were there were marches, there were fights, there were protests, and uh, Green County was not free from racism by no means. Uh, but we had, I think, the right people in the place to try to ease that tensions. And I think Dad, the way he policed, he did that. Uh, We've got in the book a guy named Johnny Grimes, and uh, Johnny basically trained under Dad and rode with Dad after he got out of the service and became a, a deputy. And he was one of the closest friends I think Dad had in the police force because he, he he really, really liked Johnny. And I think Johnny helped him some. I'll be honest with you. I think when they would go into these juke joints and they would arrest all those people, Think about this. This was a black-owned establishment with all black people, and Johnny would go in with Dad, and they would rest and, and take some. But as Johnny would say, he'd let two or three of them go before he even hardly got to the jail the next day and then go testify for them. But, uh, and he would tell the judge, I, listen, I arrested them because they were breaking the law and and uh, and it was things like disturbing the peace that could be stretched and things like that. But I thought it it was usually on a Saturday night after midnight. And he says, "Can't drink and you can't dance." And you know that that was a pretty strict belief. Cause R- that, rules are rules. Yeah, rules are rules. And that's what Johnny said. He said, "You know, it it was no right and wrong. You didn't cross that medium." He was always look either you're right or you're wrong. If you're wrong, I'm going to arrest you. You know. And but then he would say, "Hey." He's got kids to feed. You're on him. We got to go easy on him. Well, why did you arrest him? Well, I arrested him because he broke the law. Yeah. But uh, you know, so he did his job that he held in to the highest of standards. Sometimes beyond that, probably. But then he was always willing to help people that even he arrested. And I think uh, Johnny at times would explain to him. Things like, well, you know, they go to this juke joint because they're tired, they've been working all day, and they need a release. And so they go there. And Johnny had a big impact on his life. Uh, There's no question in my mind. But Dad was was pretty even killed before then. But but I think that helped him think through more things. As I think about it, I'm sure them riding together and everything, when they talked about from a black and white perspective, how do you feel? And I think as Dad assessed his own job as policeman, and did he really do a good job as he's talking to our our uh, character in the book, one of those things was, look, I did what I thought was best. I hope it was. So I think in back of his mind, he probably thought, well, I might have could have done that a little better. I might have could have done this a little better. But he felt that he was fair and he treated everybody with the same respect. I was raised, I can tell you from one of the first things I remember my dad telling me is, everybody deserves to be heard. I don't care who they are. And he lived his life that way. And I think that transformed in his policing. Everybody deserves to be heard. And so, uh, uh, and he said they might be totally wrong, but they don't, it doesn't mean you, they don't have a voice. They don't have a, a, they need to have a platform to say what they want to say, and you need to listen to it. When I was in some of the jobs I was in, he would tell me that. You know, I'd say, well, that's the most ridiculous thing I've done. And he'd say, wait a minute, 
Everybody deserves to be heard. And so uh, he, he preached that to me. And I think, I think that had something to do with, uh, as he assessed his own job, maybe thinking back, well, maybe I should have listened a little more a couple of times and not reacted so quick. But in the end, uh, I would say that he, he, did a, he did a great job. And uh, when you consider that he had multiple opportunities to shoot people, and he never did. Yeah. He always did. I mean, in one story, he said, God told me not to. And so he, he felt something that told him I, the guy had taken his gun and had shot at him twice, and he finally got the upper hand on him with a shotgun in his face. And the, and the judge said, why didn't you shoot him? And he said, I, I couldn't because I, I felt like God, did, I, I didn't need to. Why would I do it then? I, already, I had him, you know. He wasn't, he wasn't going to come at me anymore. I had a shotgun in his face. No need to shoot him. And so that's the way he looked at things. So your dad, he was, he was never never walk away from a fight. He'd go looking for a good fight and walk yeah. in the G joints, knowing he was going to get in fights with people mm-hmm. and dragging them out. But he knew when to turn it off. And as you said, he never shot anybody. His mentor and his, his boss, the sheriff, L.L. White, shot nine people, I believe. I'm yeah. not sure there's even an accurate mm-hmm. number of how many mm-hmm. people he shot and killed. But your dad... Uh, in the heat of battle, would just not do it, and mm-hmm. that's a that's a really interesting thing to me that he would know when it is time to quit. Yeah, when he's got control, uh, don't take it any further. And that's yeah. a that's a remarkable and laudable talent he had. And uh, I'm, I know that, and it was no ref- bad reflection on White because the, he was in times even before Dad where it was bootlegging and yeah. all yeah. kind of stuff going on, and uh, and a couple of those times he had no choice. Well, but, that was shot at him first. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah he yeah. returned fire, and he was he was yeah. a good shot. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And so, but Dad, uh, I think while he had the opportunity that he could have done it and legally shot a few people, a couple of people, three, I don't know, but he didn't do it because he felt, I don't need to right now. I've got the upper hand. I've been able to resolve this situation he's in handcuffs i'm about to put him in handcuffs and take him to jail there's no sense in killing him right you know and so he didn't have some of those situations that would bring him to that he he diffused it before it got to that and i think he he was good at that he had a he had a policeman that got into a a brawl with with some african-americans in union point and they called him and he went down to the city hall city hall had numbers of uh, black folks and the policemen and they were fussing and dad had to defuse it and basically what he did was he sent them both home and told the the white policeman you you need to go and then he to go back in and told them go home and you get with them tomorrow well his whole idea more i think about it was it, that was a heat of the moment that was emotions and his thought was i can't deal with this it, these many people are this emotional so the leader of the protest with blacks came back, and he told him, he said, my policeman was wrong, and we're not going to let it happen again. And, you know, he diffused it, and they never did anything else about it. He went to his policeman that was white and said, you made a terrible mistake, and I never want to see that again. You were wrong. But he didn't embarrass him in front of everybody, and he didn't, you know, he, he, he sent him home and then dealt with it the next day when tempers had settled down. And I think that really speaks volumes as to the kind of person he was and the way, you know, he handled things. 
I, you know, I think your dad was, although it happened late in life, he truly was a man who found his calling. Yeah. And he did an outstanding job. Uh, I, yeah. I, you know, one of the lessons that I've learned from this is that we, we have all the publicity today about bad cops who do terrible things and, and uh, it r- tends to reflect uh, on the entire policing effort. And I know this is something that's important to you, Tom, that, that yeah. this story could hopefully contribute towards understanding that while there are the occasional bad cops that, that police are challenged by things that most of us could not stand up to and, and could cope with, but they do this and it can happen at any time of the day. Yeah. So it's a, I, I hope that people will somehow learn from this book, those who might read it, that uh, there are cops who come in situations that you would have thought their whole life would have prepared them to be a bad cop. Yeah. But your dad was not. He was mm-hmm. definitely a very outstanding policeman. Well, I think that when you look at that and you, you, you assess that and everything, that's one of the reasons I came to you and, and I think we did the book because uh, our policemen need support. And it's the good ones that need support. You know, we, we, have, we have bad doctors. We've got bad lawyers. We've got, you know, and uh, uh, we're going to have some. The law of average, you're going to have some that don't make good decisions. But that's no reason to take their ability to keep peace and quiet in, in neighborhoods and in, in communities. And so I, I think that when we look at this, that in my mind, we ought to say, look, uh, number one, the community needs to be a part of policing, not apart from policing, and they need to integrate. And I think that's what's happening. And in the successful areas, that's what you have. You've got to have that dialogue and the listening and that going on to help diffuse these things. And I would hope that when you look at an ordinary cop like Dad was, and the funny and the sad and the tragic, the way those situations were handled, they would have an impact on not only those who listened to it and those who read what goes on in the everyday life of a police officer, but also <clears throat> how we support them, what we do for them. You know, we gotta, we gotta allow them. Pe- this racial thing really uh, concerns me because. There are areas in the black community where some policemen won't go. And it's even the black policemen. And because they've, they've got... There's areas in the white community in some of these places that are the same way. The policemen just don't want to go because they are run by gangs and they're run, you know, by by just underground crime and all kind of things that are going on. So what do we do to to address that? I think... The community has to be a part of the community, the, the policing process, and I think that hopefully that uh, we're 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 gain from that. I mean, most people don't realize. I grew up watching one. You don't realize what goes on in the life, in the everyday life of a policeman, and, uh, and this book was to kind of shed a light on that, and hopefully uh, have some impact in building more support for those heroes in our community. Well, Tom, I want to thank you again for letting me be uh, playing a key role here in telling your dad's story, and let's write another book. Uh, hey, I'm, I'm all for it. I mean, we'll, we'll pick something and go with it, and uh, it's been a pleasure. It, it has been one of the joys of my life 
to work with you, who is a very close friend of mine, but, but to collaborate on this project and see it come to fruition and, and then even get to this. We've got somebody to step forward and says, hey, y'all do a podcast, so here we go. We, we've done a podcast. Here we've gone indeed. Yes, yeah, sir. that's right. Okay. All right, Tom. Thanks so much. Thank you. Team Blue Line is a nationwide nonprofit that helps the families of law enforcement officers who have selflessly given their lives and officers who have been injured mentally or physically in the line of duty.